big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. It's Molly. Just wanted to give a few housekeeping notes before we start the show today. First off, we recorded this episode a little bit before Thanksgiving, so don't be surprised if you hear a few references to Thanksgiving in there. Second, we wanted to thank our newest patrons, Amy, Zacharu, Nicole, and Alice. Thank you all so much for all the support you've been showing us on Patreon. Thanks to all of you. Next week, we get to pick out our brand new microphone. We're not going to be sitting huddled over the same microphone anymore or recording into our headphone microphone like I am right now. Anyway, thanks so much again and enjoy this week's episode. What to do to die today at a minute or two till two? A thing distinctly hard to say, but harder still to do. For the beat a tattoo at twenty till two, a ratatatatatata at two, and the dragon will come when he hears the drum at a minute or two till two today at a minute or two till two. What to do to die today at a minute or two to do? A thing distinctly hard to say, but harder still to do. For the beat a tattoo at twenty till two, a ratatatatatata at two, and the dragon will come when he hears the drum at a minute or two till two today at a minute or two till two. hope you enjoyed us singing that wasn't singing warming up <laughs> that was because i realized one of our episodes we did a vocal warm-up beforehand and when i listened to the final product i realized our articulation was far better in that episode than in every other episode you know what they teach you in college about vocal warm-ups it's it's real um <coughs> theater theater the theater we're both uh Trained Shakespearean actress. Shakespearean. Shakespearean. Shakespeare. Speaking of the classics. Jane Austen. What a segue. Very good From segue. our pretentious theater education <laughs> to our podcast on something totally unpretentious. Yeah, totally. Just 18th and 19th century literature. Yeah. Today, we are beginning volume the second Volume the second. You can't really say it like volume the first. You have to say the second without an accent. Volume two. Volume two. You got the liquid ooh. Oh my god. We're getting back to our pretentious theater education. Sorry. It's like Um, on my brain. I can't say any of the vocal warm-ups without immediately diving right back in. Yeah. Volume the second, baby, is how I began my notes. Lit. For our listeners, we'd been doing, like, chapters one through, you know, whatever, chapters, like, 20 through 23. hmm Now we're back at chapter one. Of the second volume. Of the second volume. Yes, we so are. So, just to clarify, when we say we're on chapter one, we're not, yeah, you they, know, they know, it. They know what we mean. You're intelligent. We trust you. The question is, how will we title these episodes, but we will have to figure that out. We're going to figure that out. That's mostly why I was saying that out loud. So, yeah, anyway. Chapter one. Just to recap you all where we were at when we left off, the end of volume one. Yeah. 
what has befallen is that all of the men who we originally were like, oh, these are the single men in want of wives have kind of splintered off. Bingley and his sisters and Darcy have all gone away for the winter. Yeah, they've all like left. They've all left Netherfield. What's his name? Collins has proposed marriage to Charlotte. And Lizzie has characterized this as being a borderline friendship ender with Charlotte. Wickham is around, I guess, and Darcy is off with Bingley. So that's where our men stand. Where do our ladies stand? Jane's feeling sad that Bingley left. Lizzie's having a moment over it all. I, I, would, I would say Lizzie is incredulous about the entire yeah. situation. She's... She's just shell-shocked. Disbelieving. Yes. Yeah. Mrs. Bennet's falling apart. Yeah, I would say Mrs. Bennet is in shambles. Yeah, in the last episode, I believe I said that she was rapidly disintegrating. I think that so. was apt. Yes. yes, she's falling. She's a little pile of ash on the ground. Mr. Bennet is okay. Chillin'. He's chillin'. Kitty still thriving. <laughs> Kitty will always be thriving, and we left Mary alone in her room. Where we left her. Yep. yep. And that's... That's all for that. So let's move on to chapter one of volume the second. First things first, Jane receives a letter from Caroline that solidifies that the Bingleys will in fact not be returning for the winter. And that Charlie is especially sad that he didn't get to say goodbye to his friends at Hertfordshire. Now, I like to think that he is friend zoning her in this instance. That does seem to be what's happening. It is so weirdly dismissive of awful the last few months. Yeah. To basically be like, oh, I had fun. Sorry thanks. I didn't get to say goodbye. It's like, oh, thanks for being such a good friend. Yeah. It's that way that you do it that makes the other person feel crazy for thinking there's more there. Yeah, and that's exactly what Jane does. She spirals. She's like, oh, I was all mistaken. <laughs> So that's sad. It says in the book that hope was over, entirely over it. Very dramatic, Very. but that is exactly what happens. Mm. And as a reader, I'm curious because I don't think I've ever read these books not knowing what happens. Mm -hmm. Were you expecting any of this? For them to leave? Yeah. And for them to say what they say? Uh, no. Long story short, no, because it's so clear what Bingley was feeling. It's not even just that that was what Jane perceived. There is a sense in which Austin is a third voice in the book the entire time. Yeah, everyone knows. Everyone's been watching them. Yeah. The third person narrator noticed. Yeah, and the third person narrator sometimes says stuff like, Collins wasn't really into Lizzie, but he decided he'd be into her. Yeah. There's a cognitive dissonance between the actions and what was clearly there. Yeah. So no, I wasn't expecting him to just up and leave, and I wasn't expecting that letter, that last letter to say that he was courting... Georgie Darcy. That was a big shock to me. Yeah, that's a whole yikes. <laughs> and this new letter that Caroline has sent just the whole time is talking about how they're all so happy to see Georgie and how great she is and accomplished and all of these things, basically making it clear to Jane that, like, this is who they want their brother to marry, which is gross. And they say that now that Charles is staying at Darcy's house, he and our baby girl are getting so close. Uh. It mentions that Darcy is considering getting new furniture. What does that mean? I don't know. I actually didn't even see that line. Maybe it's not important. I think I just skated over it, but I think 
her including that in the letter is kind of her way of making small talk. You know how rich people even today are like, oh, I'm thinking of redecorating my house Mm -hmm. or like, oh, I think I'm redoing the kitchen. And it's like you have to have the time and the money to commit to that sort of project. So it's like a real rich person's project. Mm -hmm. But I think that's just basically rich person small talk. Got it. So at the end of this letter, Lizzie is upset at Charlie for being such a pushover and that he's just doing whatever his sisters say. Yes. I have a quote that I highlighted in my copy that I thought was really apt in this situation. She could not think without anger, hardly without contempt, on that easiness of temper, that want of proper resolution which now made him the slave of his designing friends and led him to sacrifice his own happiness to the caprice of their inclination. Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring this up. You have been saying from episode one that Bingley... He needs 12 opinions on everything. He does, and that is such a fault in him. It's so bad. And it's so clear in this moment how big a fault that is yeah i was thinking back to when we were reading those sass chapters Mm -hmm. in uh, episode three where they're talking about bingley and his first of all there's some great foreshadowing that i did not want to there's such good foreshadowing in episode three (laughs) where he basically darcy says you brag about the fact that you could just leave netherfield tomorrow (gasps) oh We didn't even catch that one. Yeah, that's why I kept asking you about Bingley's character in that moment. I didn't even... (laughs) There's a lot of foreshadowing that I've caught on listening to our earlier episodes. The fact that he talks about leaving Netherfield in five minutes, I didn't even process until this moment that that's what he has done. Yes, he has. And then there's a whole conversation about how it would be to the person who you're leaving. The friendship at stake. Jane Austen is so smart, guys. So smart. She is so good at weaving a tale. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. But back to these chapters. I really just wanted to draw your attention to that very consistent trait Mm -hmm. in Charles Bingley. Yeah. Additionally, at this point, Lizzie doesn't doubt his feelings for Jane. And she thinks that they can still come back. That he would still come back for her. But she's pissed that he would sacrifice Jane's happiness. Yeah, it's really thoughtless. It's terrible. To think of it only in terms of like, oh, my sisters, oh, this, that, when you're gonna break someone's heart. Right. Yes. So a few days pass before Jane is able to talk about it, and Mrs. Bennett finally leaves her alone with Lizzie. So she says to Lizzie, after a particularly long tirade of their mother's, she's like, oh, mom doesn't know what pain she's causing me by talking about this, but it's all gonna be okay soon because she'll forget about Charles Bingley which is sad. Lizzie looks concerned and Jane starts defending herself (laughs) for once. And she's like, hey, I'm gonna be fine. Yeah. It's gonna be fine. But she can't fully finish her sentence. She kind of peters out at the end. She's like, I'm gonna be better. Uh, uh." She's putting on a really brave face, but it's one of those situations where she really doesn't have a choice but to put on a brave face. What's she gonna do? Like, run off and have a tirade like her mom? It's not going to change anything. You know, cry about it. Well, that's true, but she's very British. Yeah, and at the end of this, Jane says, at least she knows that this is all just a mistake on her part, and she just saw love where there was none, and she's the only one suffering right now. And Lizzie is like, Jane, you're too good. Jane's like, no, I'm not. And Lizzie says, that's not fair. You say the rest of the world is good and respectable, but the minute I try to compliment you, you deny it. And yeah, that isn't fair. It's also kind of annoying that she doesn't know how to take a compliment. I mean, it is. And Jane is modest to almost a fault. 
But yeah. I would say there is something very galling about receiving compliments when you feel so bad about yourself. That's for sure. For sure. But I also worry that her compliments that she pays other people might sometimes come off as insincere. Like, if she's like, oh, you're so good and kind and all of these things, and someone's like, oh my gosh, so are you. And she's like, no, I'm not. Shut up. It's like, mm. I, I get what you're saying. Like, I, that I kind don't... of person can be annoying. Yes, definitely. I get what you're saying. I'm but... not trying to throw shade <laughs> at Jane. We love her. We love Jane. This is a particularly aggravating set of chapters until the end, just because it is so obvious what Caroline is doing. And the refusal to see it is a little bit... Ignorant? Yes. Yeah. Lizzie says that the more she sees of the world, the more she believes she can't trust anyone, and she's met with two instances of this lately. Quote, one I will not mention, the other is Charlotte's marriage. I want to know what's the one that she will not mention. Is she talking about Caroline here? I think she's talking about Bingley, and the reason she won't mention it is... Is because she doesn't want to t- talk ill of him. It's because Jane Charlotte, doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Jane defends Collins at this point, saying, Consider Mr. Collins's respectability and Charlotte's prudent, steady character. So we know Collins sucks, but... I do think that Lizzie is just way too harsh on Charlotte. She's in this being moment. way too hard on, on Charlotte, but she's not being way too hard on Collins. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think there is something to Jane's want for that to be civil. Collins is family, Charlotte is their friend. Becca's trying really hard right now. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm defending Jane's defense. Yes. I'm not defending Collins. <laughs> Great. That's good. Yeah, no, I get that. And it's true that the match makes a lot of sense for Charlotte. And Jane encourages Lizzie to take into account the possibility that Charlotte might actually like Collins. She says that if Lizzie spends all of her time with negative emotions, it will ruin her happiness, which is true. Then Lizzie says she thinks it would be worse if Charlotte actually did like Collins because then she would think ill of her, like think that Charlotte was dumb and we don't want to think that Charlotte's dumb. She says that Jane should not, for the sake of one individual, even Charlotte, change her meaning of principle and and integrity, which is interesting to me because she's saying that Charlotte's done something that if anyone else did it, you wouldn't defend it and you can't change your principles just because it's Charlotte, just because it's our friend. Yeah. Jane hopes that Lizzie will change her mind, though, when she sees them happy together and she mentions the second instance that Lizzie noticed of this situation, what we were talking about with Bingley, and Jane is like, please don't pain me by thinking ill of that person, meaning Bingley. She says that they can't think that all of this pain was intentional, that her vanity made her think that Bingley loved her when really he only admired her, and that women in general think admiration means more than it does. Lizzie says that men take care that they should. Men lead them on. That is a very resonant thing in today's world. Yeah. And she clarifies that she's not saying that he's scheming to cause Jane pain, but she does think that he fucked up, he was thoughtless, he lacked resolution, which is his main fault. And she says that if she goes on, she will say bad things about people Jane loves. And she says, stop me whilst you can. But Jane says, Please do go on. And Lizzie admits then that she believes that Charles has been influenced by his sisters and Darcy. Jane doesn't understand, saying that they only wish for his happiness, and if he loved her, then nobody else would make him happy. Which is very sweet. 
But also so stupid because that assumes everyone's a good person, Jane. Yeah, but Jane does assume that everyone's a good person. And um, Lizzie explains that they don't only wish for his happiness, but one, for their own happiness, two, for money, connections, pride. And Jane says, then it makes sense that they want him to marry Baby D, which I have now dubbed Georgie Darcy. Oh, Baby D. Baby D. But... It's not for those reasons that Lizzie has listed, but rather because they know her better as a person and they love her. And she says, quote, if they believed him attached to me, they would not try to part us. If he were so, they could not succeed, which I love. Then they stop discussing it because Jane is just too sad. But Mrs. Bennett won't stop discussing it. And Lizzie tries to convince her mom that Charlie only liked Jane in passing just so that she'll stop talking about it. Saying it in front of Jane. Yeah. Daddy Bennett then... I wrote down that I need to read this quote verbatim. So, one moment. This is so funny. He says, So, Lizzie. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love him so much. This, so, this is not something I saw growing over the course of this book, but I am living for it's it. It's so fun. I love him. And we were talking to our friends in a group chat, and we were like, Listen to our podcast. You'll never guess who Molly has a crush on. None of them guessed. None of them have guessed so far. One of them guessed Collins, and I was insulted on your behalf. I was insulted as well. And then they were like, Oh, right, uh, Lizzie? And I was like, Well, duh. But well, everyone has a crush yeah. on Lizzie. But, but go back to your daddy. <laughs> so, Lizzie. Your sister is crossed in love, I find. I congratulate her. (laughs) Next to being married, a girl likes to be crossed in love a little now and then. It is something to think of and gives her a sort of distinction among her companions. When is your turn to come? You will hardly bear to be long outdone by Jane. Now is your time. Here are officers enough at Mary to disappoint all the young ladies in the country. Let Wickham be your man. He is a pleasant fellow and would jilt your credibility. He is the sass master. He is so so unfazed by the heartbreak of his daughter. So unfazed. And then she says, you know, we can't all hope for as handsome a man as Jane has found. I'd be happy with anyone. And, And he says, true, but it is a comfort to think that whatever of that kind may befall you, you have an affectionate mother who will always make the most of it. I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. Oh my god, that's so good. I mean, like, Mrs. Bennett is out here keening in (laughs) funeral garb. And Mr. Bennett is just cracking jokes about his daughter's reputations. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Oh my god. Mr. Wickham is around the house a lot, and everyone loves him because with him they can always talk shit about Darcy. That is everyone's favorite activity. It's their favorite, except for Jane, who senses at this point that something else may be up with that whole situation between Wickham and Darcy. And that's where we leave chapter one. Dun, 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 dun. Chapter two. Collins finally leaves on Saturday. (laughs) I forgot he was there. Well, so did they. He's, like, spending all his time with Charlotte. Right, right, right. So it's not so bad. But he knows that soon the day would come that would make him the happiest of men. Literally every time he talks about this marriage, he talks about how he's going to be the happiest of men. My theory on this is that Catherine de Berg, Catherine de Berg told him he would be happy as a married oh. man so that he's just like I will be happy. Oh my god. When I'm married. <laughs> he's literally a ball of floof. Like, really sexist floof. Yeah, and he just sometimes, like, when he speaks, little floof comes out of his mouth. But it's just floof that people have put into his brain. He's like a <laughs> scarecrow, and they just put it in, and it comes out. And I, I don't even know where your metaphor is. 
<laughs> I'm picturing like they put cotton in his brain. It's just like, oh, here's an idea. And then when he speaks, it goes. So what you're saying is that usually with people, they'll get someone telling them something. It'll process, process through in their, their brain. brain. They will add their own intelligence and experience to it and it'll come out the mouth. Yeah. In his case, it just goes in and out. Mm-hmm. There is no, There's no ability to synthesize or analyze and create new thought. It's simply just, oh, Catherine de Berg said this. Correct. And so it must be true. Correct. Yeah. He a dumb boy. Mrs. Bennett's brother comes by with his wife. You? <laughs> did you really think we were done with the character meeting? I did. Yeah, again, <laughs> I thought we were done with the character yeah, meeting. Yeah, done got played. Yeah, Mrs. Bennett has a brother, Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner. Mrs. Gardiner is her brother's wife, and she's a favorite amongst the daughters. Yeah, I think that actually it's good to evaluate the introduction of the gardeners. Yeah. Because up until this point, we've kind of seen that the Bennets are allowed an embarrassing family, except Jane and Lizzie. Yeah. Who have this ability to engage with high society. Yes. And this is the first time you start to see that they have any relatives that have this sort of grace. It's interesting, though. Mr. Gardiner, while he has this sort of grace, and they say that he's much superior to Mrs. Bennet, he also is like a man of trade. And it says that the Bingley sisters, for example, would be shocked that he's so well-bred working where he works and living where he lives in London. Yeah, I think that to get along in high society is not just about having, like, money. money. It's also that you have to be able to be polite. You know your place, and that's what Lizzie and Jane are really good at, because Lizzie and Jane are a part of a family that's not extremely wealthy. Mm -hmm. Mr. Gardner's not extremely wealthy. Mm -hmm. But they have the ability to go into these situations and blend in, and the Bennett's in general don't, yeah. especially Mrs. Bennett and Kittya. Yeah, and that's why Lizzie and Jane particularly love Mrs. Gardner because she's so elegant and holds herself well and they're best friends. And that's why the younger girls gravitate toward Mrs. Phillips yeah. because she's the gossiper. Oh, yes. Yeah. And also I think it's mentioned that Mrs. Gardner is a little younger. Yeah, I than... picture her being hot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to comment on okay. that. Oh, no, I hope she's hot. So anyway, Mrs. Gardner comes and she gives everyone Christmas presents. And then Mrs. Bennett complains and tells her everything that's happened. And she's like, oh, Jane isn't to blame, but fuck Lizzie. Basically, she's like, Jane's situation could have happened to anyone. Lizzie, this is all her fault. Well, one of them got jilted and the other one turned down a proposal. Right, which to her brain is just unheard of. Exactly. Can you imagine if Lizzie had said yes to Collins in the same time frame where Jane was available? Like, the jilting still happened, but Lizzie said yes. Mrs. Bennett would be in a very different place. She would be very disappointed, but she would be less disappointed. I think she would be able to get out of bed. Yes. Which I think is a struggle for her in these chapters. Yeah, and she also probably would have a little less affection towards Jane because she's like, well, one daughter could do it. Why can't another? Yeah. She also rails on the Lucases and talks about how shitty they are, but she's so grateful to know that long sleeves are in because Mrs. Gardner is very stylish and tells them about the latest fashions. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Gardner just kind of smiles and nods, but she already knew everything from Jane and Lizzie writing letters. And later she's talking to Lizzie alone and she says, you know, it's sad that this happened to Jane, but men like Bingley so easily fall in love with a pretty girl for a few weeks and when accident separates them, so easily forgets her. 
Which is real. Yeah, I also feel like it's possible Mrs. Gardner doesn't get a sense of the situation that well. Yeah, she doesn't really see how much they were a thing. Lizzie says that that's true, but this is not an accident what's happened. She thinks it's interference of friends, for why else would he think no more of a girl whom he was violently in love with only a few days before? Then Mrs. Gardner calls her out, and I wrote that I just need to read this from the book because Mrs. Gardner has such a fire response to this. She says... But that expression of violently in love is so hackneyed, so doubtful, so indefinite, that it gives me very little idea. It is as often applied to feelings which arise only from a half hour's acquaintance as to a real strong attachment. Pray, how violent was Mr. Bingley's love? That's so real. The words violently in love describe, like, a fiery fling. Exactly. And I think that Lizzie's idea of love, from what she goes on to say, is... A little bit romanticized. Absolutely, for sure. But um, I do think that you have to sort of know Bingley to understand how weird this is. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. But I, I... I mean, I get... Mrs. Yeah. Gardner definitely hits the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. It's weird that Bingley's left, but I also don't necessarily at this point trust that his love was as strong as we all believe it was. I'm not going to comment on that. Okay. Lizzie's like, no, 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 you don't understand... Charlie would only look at Jane and only talk to Jane, and sometimes even I tried to say something to him and he ignored me. Is not general incivility the very essence of love? Like, being so preoccupied by your person that you don't look at anyone else? No, it's not. That's yes, it's that very unhealthy it's show of love. Yeah, it's, it's violently in love. You can't focus on anything else, which is, like, fun for a little while, but again can't last forever it's the honeymoon phase truly so, the, the honeymoon phase also like i love the phrase violently in love as yeah. you've said yeah it makes me think of ryan gosling in the notebook yeah 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 definitely yeah so mrs gardner says well i sure i guess it just sucks that it happened to jane because she has a hard time getting over things it would have been so much better if it had happened to lizzie because she would just brush it off which like thanks <laughs> yeah true she suggests then to lizzie that jane leaves with them and goes to London for some time. Lindsay thinks that's a good idea. Mrs. Gardner says, there's no way they'll run into each other because we'll be in such different parts of London. Foreshadowing. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Like, also, like, yeah, the, the whole thing of them leaving Longbourn is starting to manifest. Yeah, in the end of the last episode, I was just editing episode seven, so it's on my brain. Mm -hmm. At the end of the last episode, my question moving forward, I got really excited about the prospect of the story leaving this house mm -hmm. and going to London, perhaps. We're going to Pemberley. So, yeah, now we're, we're getting into that. And Lizzie is certain that Darcy would never let Bingley anywhere near the area that the gardeners live because it's too like, low class, low class, industrial, whatever. Mm -hmm. But she secretly hopes that Bingley still has feelings. And Jane is very excited to go to London and hopes that because Caroline is not with Bingley and Darcy, that she'll still get to hang out with Caroline sometimes, which is Jane. Why? She really doesn't understand She doesn't mean get girls. it. <laughs> so during the week with the gardeners there, the Phillipses and the Lucases and the officers and Mr. Wickham are all over all the time. You had talked about wanting Wickham to meet Lizzie's parents. He is there. 
They've met. They've met, but we didn't get to see it happen. Well, yeah, it all kind of happened very quickly while yeah. Jane was mourning. Yeah, so you know what? I don't think that he's in it for the long haul because otherwise we would get a scene. That's just my personal thoughts on that. Mrs. Gardner starts watching Lizzie and Wickham because Lizzie's told her about the, her crush, and she sees how cozy they are, and she gets a little anxious and wants to warn Lizzie not to fall in love with him, which I said, why? Like, what's wrong with Wickham? Especially because... They bond, Mrs. G and Wickham, over the fact that they both have lived in Derbyshire, and she knew Daddy Darcy very well. Mm -hmm. She knew him to be a very good man, and Wickham fills her in on our present day Mr. Darcy and how much of a shit he is. Again, Wickham spends his first interaction with Lizzie being like, oh, I could never say bad things about a Darcy. (laughs) I don't like to speak ill of people, but like literally every person he meets, he's like, Darcy sucks. <laughs> yup. And she recalls somewhere in her brain that Fitzwilliam Darcy is a very proud, ill-natured boy. And I think that's the first mention of his first name in this book. Yeah, I, I highlighted it for that reason because I was like, oh my gosh, finally. I told you that was his first name. Yeah, I know. I would call him Fitzy. 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 Ooh, I hate that. <laughs> what would you call him, Will? Darcy. I would call him Darcy and his last name Fitzwilliam. That makes much more sense. I wanted to show you my drawing. This is going to be for our Patreon supporters. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, It says, my face looks like, and then I drew a little face. So if you are, I think if you're a $3 patron on Patreon, you get access to pictures of my book. It looks a little bit like a, a Pikachu meme. Like, like the really small O mouth and the big eyes, the... Except they're tiny eyes also. I was staring at my book with a narrow eyes. But you drew eyebrows to show that the eyes were wide because... Are those not eyebrows? Those are eyebrows. They're eyebrows and they're straight across. So I'm kind of going, oh, okay. I thought you were going... (laughs) You know? (laughs) (laughs) This is a podcast. No one can see what we're doing. Go support us on Patreon and then interpret this photo how you will. Yeah, we definitely need a poll of our patrons. Yeah. As to what that means. Yeah. Moving on to chapter three of volume the second. This is the juicy chapter from this section because the rest are kind of exposition-y. Yeah. This one is a lot more, it's a vindication on Lizzie's part that Jane finally realizes that maybe, just maybe, not everyone is good. Yeah, finally. It starts out with Mrs. Gardner warning Lizzie about Wickham and saying, don't fall in love with him. I'm still like, why? And she explains that her reasoning is that Wickham has no fortune, which I hadn't even thought about. Do you want to do the economy lecture or shall I? I think at this point we all know (laughs) that Lizzie needs to marry someone with money or else she will be destitute as Charlotte is now marrying her one hope at keeping her estate. So it makes sense that she's warning her. Otherwise, Mrs. Gardner says Wickham would be a perfect match, but as it is, she'd better use her good sense and she better not disappoint her father, which I was like, yeah, you better not. And Lizzie said, you know, I'll take care of myself and I'll do my best to prevent him from falling in love with me, which is an interesting thing to promise. And Mrs. Gardner worries that she's not really taking it as seriously, but Lizzie assures her that she is, that she understands the imprudence of the match, and she curses Darcy for having deprived good, good Wickham of the good, good fortune. What a bitch crackers move on Lizzie's part. Lizzie has major bitch crackers. Darcy. Such bitch cracker syndrome. But also, like, great, one more reason to hate Darcy. I'm on board. <laughs> 
And she says that, you know, she wouldn't want to disappoint her father, but she also notes that her father is very partial to Wickham and has even told her so. And she doesn't want to make anyone unhappy, but as she notes, young people often go with their hearts rather than thinking about money. She can't promise that she would be any wiser than most young people, which is great. Yeah, Lizzie. And she promises simply not to be in a hurry. She says, I won't be in a hurry to believe that he likes me. I will not wish for anything when I'm with him, and I'll just do my best. So rational, so realistic. She's not promising anything outside of her ability. Yeah. I love that for her. Yeah, it's it's really such a cordial advice-giving and taking session. Yeah, and Mrs. Gardner says, okay, maybe also discourage his coming here so often, or at least stop reminding your mom to invite him, and Lizzie's like, <laughs> like got I did. Me. yeah, yeah. and she's like okay yeah have you ever had a friend who like is hung up on a guy and you're like don't go to his social media yeah don't text him and then you just know and that you she's see like, that they liked it on she, yeah exactly and you're just like oh you were on it yeah that's the call out here yep and lizzie reminds mrs gardner that he's only really been there so often this week because her mom really wants to entertain the guests and so she keeps inviting company over and it says Then, as you said, they part happily, a wonderful instance of advice being given on such a point without being resented, (laughs) which is nice. It also speaks to how much she respects Mrs. Gardner's opinion. Yeah, totally. Because that's just not advice she would have necessarily taken from her mother. Oh, if her mom said anything of this sort to her, she would have She would elope. Like, yeah, she would be like, Mom, shut up. And But it's, it's funny because Mrs. Gardner started the conversation by saying, Lizzie, I know that you're not the type of person who would go fall in love just because I said don't fall in love. And I was like, yeah, most people would. But Lizzie, she's going to take it seriously from you, not from her mom. If her mom said it, she would be like, great, I'm going to fall in love now. Oh, yeah, no, it's because Mrs. Gardner is legitimately so rational. Yeah. And would not say it for any reason other than the fact that it's totally true. Yeah. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. 
To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So Collins comes back after the gardeners and Jane leave, but he stays with the Lucases instead, so it doesn't really matter that he's there. Mrs. Bennett even says that she wishes that they might be happy, but she says this in an ill-natured tone. <laughs> They're getting married on Thursday. Yep. And <laughs> very sudden. So on Wednesday, Charlotte comes to say goodbye, and Mrs. Bennett is very salty towards her, so Lizzie feels bad, and she walks her out for a private goodbye. Yeah. They agree that they're going to write often. Charlotte asks Lizzie to come to Hunsford with her father and sister in March, and Lizzie's first like, no, uh, I'll see you when you're here, and she's like, please, I might not be back before then, and Lizzie agrees to go. The wedding happens, Charlotte leaves, and they write as much as they always have, but that it should be equally unreserved was impossible because all the trust is gone. It really is, and it's so sad. We love female friendship on this podcast. We and do. This female friendship in particular, although we had very little time with it, speaks to such a kindred spirit friendship. Yeah, I mean, it was the most important friendship in the book. I mean, besides Jane and Lizzie, but they're sisters. Like, Lizzie and Charlotte was the first friendship that we were introduced to. Yeah, and you really get a sense of equals in wit. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're now so alienated from each other over a boy. Not even mm -hmm. a man, a boy. A dumb boy. A dumb boy is upsetting. Yeah. So Charlotte's first letter arrives, and it basically speaks as everyone would expect it to very positively of Hunsford and basically it's Colin's glowing descriptions of Hunsford rationally softened so she gives an accurate description of how pretty it is but it's not you know the best and how Lady Catherine de Bourgh is a nice woman but she's not you know the best yeah, I think it's that you've been getting Colin's being an idiot and describing things like an idiot and then you have Charlotte being like oh he's right it is nice, but I'm just going to say it better. Right. And Jane also writes to say that she'd already been a week in town and hasn't heard from or seen Caroline. But she assumes that the letter to Caroline saying that she was going to be in London was lost in the mail. It is quintessential. Oh, my God. I am just seeing this text now. Sorry. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. Exactly like that. Yeah. The next day, Mrs. Gardner is going into the area where Caroline is, so Jane is just going to hop along and drop in on Caroline. I feel like there's a tiny piece of Jane doing this to try and see Bingley. I mean, oh I my know, god, yeah. I know it's mostly to see Caroline, and she's genuine about that, but I do think she kind of wants to just get a glimpse of him. She really does. Oh, yeah. Jane. It's sad. She goes to their house, and she writes again. She says that Caroline seemed very happy to see her, and was all, oh, why didn't you tell me you were going to be here? Like you said, I just saw this text now. <laughs> Jane thinks she was right about her letter being lost in the mail. I sincerely doubt that. But Caroline tells her that, you know, she hardly sees her brother because she obviously asked after Bingley. And she said, Miss Darcy is coming to dinner, baby D. So Jane has to leave. So Jane left. <laughs> and she's sure that they're going to call on her soon. Four weeks pass. Still no Bingley. But Jane is mostly sad now that Caroline is intentionally avoiding her. She's finally come to that conclusion after two weeks when Caroline comes back and her manners could deceive her no longer. The book says, quote, The letter which she wrote on this occasion to her sister will prove what she felt. 
I had a question here about the narrator because I got an image at this line of Jane Austen sitting in a library in a rocking chair reading this to me. I love that image of the narrator because there are, throughout the book, little cheats and asides Yeah, where you get to hear about something that the characters don't know about. Right, because usually I'm like, oh, the narrator is Lizzie's brain. But sometimes the narrator Sometimes is. it is, but sometimes it's Jane's brain and sometimes yeah. it's this person who's in a rocking chair. Well, if you recall chapter like six, mm -hmm. which is where you get the first of the Darcy Thirst, mm. you remember that was not something Lizzie was picking up on. Right. That was just Darcy standing in a corner with blood <laughs> rushing to certain places. Yeah, ew. Ew, 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 ew. <laughs> ew. Yep. So this letter, Jane starts the letter by saying, Lizzie, I know you won't say I told you so. I feel like Lizzie would have said, I told you so. Lizzie absolutely would have, <laughs> but she starts by saying, Lizzie, I know you won't. You better not. <laughs> she describes Caroline's visit, and she says that Caroline was very standoffish, and she didn't say anything about wishing to see her again, and Jane decides that she doesn't want to be her friend anymore, because how could she want to be friends with someone who doesn't want to be friends with her? And she says even that she pities Caroline because she knows that she must know she's been acting wrong, and she believes that her actions were motivated by anxieties over her brother. This is where I got a little lost. So I think what Jane is saying is that Caroline was trying to manipulate Bingley out of being with her, but that she must feel bad about it because she knows it's a bad thing to do because she's assuming Caroline is the type of person who feels remorse or would see this as something bad to do. And the anxieties over her brother are of him marrying someone with money. Exactly. Like, wanting her brother to be better off in the world, and it not being personal to Jane. I see. There is an element of truth to this. It's not necessarily entirely personal to Jane that they don't want Bingley to marry her. It is somewhat societal. But yeah. I don't think Caroline feels bad about it. No, she doesn't. But then Jane says, we know these anxieties to be needless. What does she know? Oh, that Jane's not trying to, like, take advantage of Bingley's money. Oh, I see. Okay. So she then says, you know, if Bingley cared about her at all, they would have already seen each other at this point. So there's no, no worry. Oh, I see. No point in worrying. Exactly. Honestly. And she says on her visit, it seemed that Caroline really wanted to persuade herself that Charlie likes Baby D. Maybe that means that Jane still has some hope that he doesn't really like Baby D. I don't know. And Jane is almost tempted, almost tempted, to say she senses duplicity in this. Almost. The duplicity is literally slapping her in the face over and over and over again. So I'm glad she's sensing. Almost sensing. I'm glad she's almost sensing the duplicity. Yeah. And she's like, but never mind all that. I'm going to think happy thoughts. By the way, Caroline says they're giving up Netherfield and never coming back. But I'm going to just think happy thoughts. And we shouldn't mention that to anyone else. And uh, go visit our friends at Hunsford, which would be Charlotte and Collins. Lizzie is glad that Jane is no longer being duped. But she's lost all expectation of Bingley that he might renew his affection for her. And she hopes, as a punishment for him, as well as a possible advantage to Jane, she seriously hopes that he might really soon marry Mr. Darcy's sister, as by Wiccan's account, she would make him abundantly regret what he had thrown away. Oh, yeah. There's a full, you're gonna regret what you did situation here, because, again, we aren't imagining what did transpire between Jane and Bingley. We know that. There is something that did happen. How How is he going to go off and marry someone, especially someone who, by accounts, is snotty? Yeah. Speaking of Wickham, 
Mrs. Gardner asks about that, and Lizzie reports that he has a new person that he likes. Since when? What? Who? What? And it, it's a person who has recently come into 10,000 pounds. Lizzie isn't offended, but the narrator notes that Lizzie might be slightly less clear-sighted in this situation than she was, for example, in Charlotte's situation. But she wishes him happy. Really, does she? And Lizzie's certain that she's never been in love. If she had loved Wickham, she would not now be able to hear his name. She would detest Miss King, which is the new girl. Mm -hmm. And as it is, she has no negative thoughts. But here's the thing. Lizzie, I don't think that your idea of love is correct yet again. Because you could still love someone and not hate them after they find someone new. Like... You could be deeply in love with someone and care for their happiness. And if they like someone else, then you're, like, happy for them. And I think that there's a difference between actual mature love and what she's calling violent love because I'm not saying that she was necessarily in love with Wickham. But in general, her idea is wrong. And what she's describing is petty. And Lizzie's not a petty person. So, of course, she's not going to be petty about it. Maybe she is a petty person. I don't know. Uh, but I do think there is something to the fact that you have no description here of the heart drop to your stomach moment you have when someone you like is flirting with somebody else. Yeah, it sucks. It's terrible. Even if you don't hate the person, which sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, when you really care for someone mm -hmm. and you see them paying attention to somebody else, it is gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. And what we're getting here is that Lizzie's gut isn't wrenched. Take of that what you will. Yeah, I don't believe that her gut's not wrenched. I'll get so into you this think a little that bit Lizzie's more. hiding this from the narrator? I think Lizzie's hiding this from the narrator. I think we're going to get into this a little bit in the next chapter. But the narrator talks way too much about how cordial Lizzie and Wickham are. Yeah, that is awkward and weird, isn't it? It's super weird. But at this point, she does note that Kidia is probably more upset that Wickham has found someone new. They don't really understand yet that handsome men need money, too. He married a woman who has a large sum of money. Well, he ain't married to nobody. He's not married. He's he's, he's flirting. flirting. With he's Miss flirting King. with another woman. You're right. He's not even married. But she's a woman whose father has just died and left her 10,000 pounds. Chapter four. <laughs> January and February are uneventful, so now we're in March, and fun fact, the first piece of this book took place over so little time, and now we are zooming through months. Yeah. Wild, Things are right? probably happening. I mean, part moments. of it is that Jane Austen's like, we don't want to focus on England in the wintertime. That is brutal. That's true. March comes around, and now Lizzie is excited to go to Hunsford, because distance made the heart grow fonder of Charlotte. She misses her. And she's I even... I think the phrase is absence made the... Fart, fart, go Honda. <laughs> what? <laughs> Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Distance. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Distance makes the heart grow fonder. I will die okay. in this hell. Okay, no, 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 no. Because my father has the world's worst joke connected to this. What is the joke? You have to tell us okay. now. Okay, okay. So there's this guy, and he's working and living his life, and he gets a gastrointestinal thing, and it's weird, because every time he farts, his farts just go, Honda, Honda, Honda. So he goes to several different specialists, and they send him to the leading expert in the world, and he describes what's happening, and the leading expert in the world says, oh, you have an abscess. We have to operate immediately. And it turned out this guy had, like, an abscess on the verge of rupturing. I know where this is going, because he said it. 
he's fixed and he's talking to the expert and he says, how did you know that it was that? He goes, oh, it's a very old saying, abscess makes the fart go Honda. That's a terrible joke. It is the worst joke. There's there, there's <clears throat> no saving it in any way, but... Oh, no. <gasps> oh, no. The proverb, absence makes the heart grow fonder, describes the feeling of greater affection between friends and lovers who are kept apart. But that... But... But I said, but... Who told me distance? I mean, that's a phrase, too. It's just not the phrase, apparently. I don't know, but I've always heard absence. Okay, who said distance makes the heart grow fonder? The research leads to Francis Davidson's poetical rhapsody in 1602, where the words appear as the first phrase of a poem in the edition. However, the author of this poem remains anonymous, and the identity of the writer known to this day, absence makes the heart grow fonder, Isle of Beauty, fare thee well. So that's absence. I know! This is so weird. Anyway. So distance made Lizzie's heart grow fonder. And, and, <laughs> and it made her heart hate, uh, hate Collins less, which is good. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those people that you can say has some redeeming qualities outside of his presence. But when you're in his presence, you have to concentrate so hard on not strangling him mm-hmm. that you don't see the good things about him which I'm sure are few vaguely exist yeah she's also excited to get away from her mom and her sisters question yes do they not go to school no great men often went to school are they homeschooled or do they just yes okay does Mrs. Bennett homeschool them? It depends. It is not clear which Bennett sisters were schooled by whom. Is this around the time of Jane Eyre? Um, yeah, ish. There's a person who teaches them in that. Yeah, it's it's like women were taught by tutors and governesses. Great. Like uh, Maria von Trapp. Ah, uh, yes. Which is much later, but it's the same concept. Mm-hmm. And men went to school. You didn't send ladies away quite as often. Got it. She's also going to go visit Jane while she's gone. She's only sad to leave Daddy Bennett, who tells her to write, and he almost promises to answer her letter. How long is she leaving for? A while. You go for a while. Like, remember, Colin stayed with them a bunch. Yeah, but to write, and then he might even return her letter? Well, think about how long Jane's been gone. Oh, yeah, she's been gone, like, over a month. Yeah. She's been gone, like, three months. Yeah. Wow. So then Lizzie gives a friendly farewell to Wickham, which I was just speaking about. It's so cordial. He reminds her what to expect in Catherine de Bourgh and is sure that she'll feel the same way he does about her since they feel the same about everyone and everything. Lizzie's convinced that whether married or single, Wickham must always be her model of the amiable and pleasing. This isn't a realistic goodbye. And if it is a realistic goodbye, it is very like they're standing there and they're like, Ha 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 ha, we are such good friends. I'm not going to comment on this. I really don't think that it's possible they're about to just go be best friends. So what do you think? Well, I think that, I guess I don't know. I mean, who the fuck is Miss King? She's joining in on our little love web. She is. Well, actually, it could be kind of fun if Lizzie and Wickham become best friends who hate Darcy. But... Then there would be no drama between Wickham and Darcy who hate each other. Because, like, if Darcy and Wickham were both courting Lizzie, that would be fun. But if just Darcy's courting Lizzie... But Darcy can't court Lizzie because Darcy's promised a baby to Berg. I don't know. I just think that Lizzie is going to watch Wickham and April King. King. Well, I guess her name is April now. (laughs) Who is April King? 
<laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. Well, it might be a Gilmore Girls character. Anyway, maybe she's going to watch him fall in love with this king person and... She's going to be sad about it, unless they become best friends. Then <laughs> she goes and she travels with Sir William and Maria Lucas, and it is a bad, bad traveling situation because they're both dumb. And You said Lizzie wasn't petty. Lizzie's I never did. so petty. I'm dumb <laughs> is so wrong. She just can't stand them. But they reach Mrs. Gardiner's house in London, and Jane seems great. She has a bunch of little cousins who are really excited to see Lizzie, and they're all, like, hiding on the stairs, which is very cute. Yeah. Then they all go to the theater, and Lizzie sits next to her aunt to get the tea. The tea is, Jane is sad. Mrs. Gardiner thinks that Wickham is being mercenary, and she asks about Miss King. This is interesting a little. This is super interesting, this discussion of money here. And this is definitely a study question coming up, oh, so good. we'll get to it. But Lizzie's reaction here versus Mrs. Gardner's reaction here might tell you a little. And also Jane Austen's little aside that Lizzie's judgment is clouded on this because of her mm -hmm. regard for Wickham. Mm -hmm. Tells you a little something about what we think of Wickham versus what we think of women trying to marry up. Yeah, there's a great quote on that, I believe. Side note, whenever I hear the word mercenary, I think it in Carrie Fisher's voice. Yes. Do it for us in the Carrie Fisher voice. Let me. I need to find a quote from Star Wars about being mercenary in one second because I need to, you know, do it right. Your friend is quite the mercenary. Oh, that was actually a pretty good Carrie Fisher. Thank you. I just watched that movie two days ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Molly's a big old Star Wars fan. Yeah. So Lizzie calls Mrs. Gardner out on this double standard that you've just mentioned. She says, you know... Mrs. Gardner was so worried about Wickham marrying Lizzie because it would be imprudent for Lizzie, but now he's being mercenary for marrying up. Mm -hmm. And Mrs. Gardner will know what to think, she says, I'll know what to think, when she knows everything. Lizzie assures her Miss King is a good person, but Mrs. Gardner points out that he didn't even know who she was before her dad died and left her the money, so it seems a little indelicate. But Lizzie wonders why they should have a problem with it if Miss King doesn't. And Mrs. Gardner says... You know, maybe she's deficient in sense or feeling. Basically saying, maybe she's a little, a little dumb. And Lizzie gives up then and is like, fine, have it as you choose. He is mercenary and she is foolish. And Mrs. Gardner says she doesn't choose that. She doesn't choose to think ill of a young man from Derbyshire. And Lizzie is so sarcastic here. And she's like, oof, give it to us. You just wrote double standard in I big did. letters. Lizzie says, oh, if that is all, I have a very poor opinion of young men who live in Derbyshire and their intimate friends who live in Hertfordshire are not much better. I am sick of them all, thank heaven. I am going tomorrow where I shall find a man who has not one agreeable quality, who has neither manner nor sense to recommend him. Stupid men are the only ones worth knowing after all. What a mood. It's such a mood. She's saying, like, first of all, who are the men who live in Derbyshire? Darcy. And Wickham. And Wickham. And their intimate friends who live in Hertfordshire, literally everyone else, aren't much better. Nobody is good because all of the men suck and I'll only talk to the dumb ones. That's Collins. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think she's mostly just saying I just need a man who's dumb enough to not be manipulative or gross. Oh. Yeah. It's, yeah. And also she's just saying fuck all men at this point. Well, yeah. She's like, I've liked one dude ever. You keep shitting on him. So fuck all men. Yeah, she's saying, like, the only man who anyone has encouraged her to marry so far has been this dumb one. Mrs. Gardner says that Lizzie's sarcasm is betraying her disappointment at the fact that Wickham 
is flirting with another woman. And that's true. Yes, exactly. Then the play ends, and I realize that they're having this entire conversation during a play. Yeah, as an actor, I was not keen on that revelation. Yeah. I think that there's something about the time period, I mean... Well, yeah. 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 But I like to picture the whole thing was whispering. Oh, I'm sure it was. Then Mrs. Gardner offers Lizzie the proposal of coming with them on a trip, like a road trip, where they go to the nature, the countryside, the lakes. And Lizzie gets very excited about this, and she goes on a rant about how they will be great travelers and remember every single thing that they do. And it's a very weird speech. She just goes on about how they're going to, like, take it all in and and everything. uh, But there's one really good line in it, which is, what are men to rocks and mountains? Basically, that she's going to forget all about all of this trouble. Which is such a mood. Such I want to go to the country. We live in New York City, as I'm sure you've learned from every single time we've mentioned it in this podcast. Yep. But I would kill to, like, just go off into the countryside for, like, a month mm-hmm. and just be at one with nature and not think about the New York dating scene. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm excited to go home for Thanksgiving and just, like, stay there for a little while and just be in my hometown. So nice. My parents live in New York City as well. Ah, yes. So well, I will be here. Becca's parents are on vacation without her right now, and she's salty. It's pretty devastating. I mean, I'm dog-sitting my dog, which is amazing, because he's the best thing that's ever happened to the universe. We do love dog. This dog is the most perfect angel. Becca's dog holds hands, and it's nice. It's really sweet, and yeah. he just loves a lot. Yeah. But my parents are in Maui. Yeah, fuck that. And I am not. I am in law school finals. It's terrible. So shall we move on to the study questions? Yeah. I have several. I actually want to start with my last on this list right now, which is how does volume the second differ in tone from volume the first? Oh, well, it's a lot more fast paced. It is. For starters, as you mentioned. We've had to transition Mm -hmm. from volume the first and the entire like mini microcosm of a story that happened there Mm -hmm. to immediately transitioning into setting up volume the second. Mm -hmm. That means simultaneously wrapping up volume the first Mm -hmm. and setting up for volume the second. Mm -hmm. So it's chock full of info. Yeah. It's less introductory because volume the first was like, this is this character. So let me tell you about this character. This is this character. This is their relationship to everyone else. And now we know all of that, Mm -hmm. aside from the gardeners. So now we're getting more into their relationships, the drama, the plot. It's getting more intricate and harder for my brain to comprehend. Well, I'm glad we're going through it at this rate because I feel like we're layering everything Mm. so well that we're catching all of the things. So you're ready for this at this point. Do you feel ready? I feel ready. Good. I'm I'm so proud. I feel ready. (laughs) I feel hype to find out what happens next. My brain is starting to make up really wild endings to this story. I'm so going to ask you about those. Great. But we're going to go through my other study questions first. So... I wanted to talk about the loss of two suitors in this chapter Mm -hmm. in different ways. We have the loss of Bingley, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like a rug pulled out from under the story. The reader, Jane, Lizzie, Mrs. Bennet, Mm -hmm. mostly Mrs. Bennet. Mostly Mrs. Bennet. But you also have Wickham, Mm -hmm. who's not exactly lost right now, but there's a step... Wickham's lost to me. He's dead to me. (laughs) Oh, why? He's found someone new. Okay. For money. Okay, yeah. 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 So uh, I wanted to talk about how these losses, these breakups are similar and how they're different. Mm -hmm. 
I think the connecting factor between the two seems to be money. Money. Bingley is being manipulated by other people to marry up. Well, not to marry up, but to marry equal, not to marry down. Wickham is also trying to marry up, but it seems like this is happening on his own accord. I don't think anyone externally is pulling any strings, because it Mm -hmm. seems like everyone we know would be rooting for it, except Darcy. Darcy wouldn't be rooting for it. Darcy would be rooting for... Well, Darcy's rooting for somehow getting to hold Lizzie Bennet close to his... Right. Like, deeply uncomfortable body. (laughs) Right, so this is what I'm saying, is that everyone else that we know would be rooting for Wickham and Lizzie, aside from Mrs. Gardiner, but, you know, she wouldn't have pulled any strings. So you think Wickham's acting on his own cord? Unless Darcy did something. Yeah. I also think there's something to be said for the fact that the build-up with Wickham has been significantly less... Right. With we got, like, a chapter. Yeah. I also wrote R.I.P. Jingly. We'll, we'll get to that, though. Yeah. That's one of my wild theories for the future. I am so excited. You are building up anticipation within these study it's not questions that. It's themselves. not that exciting. It's just, like, it, for me, it's wild to okay. contemplate. So, uh, the next question I had was actually about Mr. and Mrs. Gardner. Mm-hmm. Because, bitch, you thought you'd heard all the characters in this book so mm-hmm. far. You keep getting surprised. I do. I love Mrs. Gardner. She's fabulous. She's isn't my she? favorite character aside from Daddy Bennett. I am so happy to hear that. She is such a good choice of character. Thank she you. is awesome. She's so good. She's the only person who talks reasonably. And I was like, oh my God, someone is saying the things that I've been thinking this whole time. Someone is like a 21st century woman popping in here so self-possessed so secure in herself so confident she's also so in tune with her own time in terms of etiquette and society and Mm -hmm. what her expectations are Mm -hmm. and what her peers expectations are she's great and there's a common thread in other austin books as well of a slightly older companion who's sort of set in the world, but is a really good confidant. Mm -hmm. She's not as big a character as others, maybe, in other books. Mm -hmm. But she really is that. She's got no skin in this game other than the happiness of her nieces, because she's pretty comfortable in herself and her own life at this point. It makes me excited to hopefully learn more about Mr. Gardner, because I feel like they'd be a hot couple. Mm -hmm. All we know at this point is Mr. Gardner seems pretty chill. Yeah. And he's a tradesman. Yeah, so that he's like, I think Buff. that's like, no, 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 not, no, that, no, kind not that kind of tradesman. I think we'll think more like lawyer class. Oh, okay. No, no, we're not like, we're not in the underclass again. Got it. You will know when Jane Austen is writing about someone who's deeply underclass. Got it. Like Wickham is so far the poorest person I think in this story. That's wild. And Wickham is still like a pretty like well-respected military man. Mm-hmm. All right. Charlotte versus Wickham. We talked about this a little because we had Lizzie being told not to marry Wickham because he was poor. We also have Charlotte literally marrying Collins for her livelihood. And then we have Wickham and people are looking down on Wickham flirting with this woman. Granted, it does seem pretty soon after her dad died. Yes. Which is not great. Yeah. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this partially because I have talked a lot about the income of women related to romance, and I have not talked about the income of men related to Mm -hmm. romance. So many women have dowries. Yes. That's, again, how they consolidate power in the upper classes and also the reason men want to score a rich lady. Because if women marry, then then they get their money, kind of. But 
Mrs. Bennett's money is not enough to sustain her children. Yeah. So basically, the difference we see here between Wickham and Charlotte and Mrs. Gardner's advice to Lizzie is that women are expected to marry for money. Yes. Men are not. Men are expected in the gender roles of this society to be the provider of the money. Yeah, but then he's kind of stuck, isn't he? Yeah, because of the Darcy situation. Yeah. When I say that it would ruined his life, it's not an exaggeration necessarily. Yeah, he's fucked him over royally. Yeah. And Lizzie says that too. Yeah, if he had uh, money, he could have he could have boned Lizzie Bennet. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Think about what he's lost. What he's lost the the best Yeah. But here's the thing. The best lady in the Shire, yes. Yes. The thing is, though, that, like, nobody, I mean, people do think, oh, Charlotte did pretty okay for herself, but also they're mad at her for the situation. Lizzie's mad at her. Lizzie's mad at her. And Mrs. Bennett's mad at her. Everybody else is pretty, like, That's true, that's true, that's true. They're all mocking her a bit because... He's stupid. Because she's old and he's stupid, so there's something ridiculous to the yeah. match. But, but it was like, actual... it's about time and... Yeah. yeah, but when Bingley and Jane were flirting, that wasn't what people were saying. People right. were like, what a good match for her. Right. Oh my God, looks like she was pretty enough to get really rich. Yeah, and it's totally different. Wickham's hot, but what yeah. Mrs. Gardner has basically said is that like you can't marry a guy like that. Yeah, Wickham is hot. Hanukkah. He is not quite yet, but Wickham is hot. Yeah. And he's charming and he's smart. I did want to just point that out. I also think there's something to be said for the fact that men have a little bit more choice in how they get money. Generally, I mean, it's not easy to play the class game in England in Mm. this time period, but it's not impossible. Right. Unless you're a woman. So there is this notion that Wickham could figure something out on his own, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's so frowned upon for him to be like trying to look for someone to marry for money. That's not something men are supposed to do. Anyway, I said we have travel in this chapter. We do. You were wondering if we were gonna leave Longbourn. Yeah. And we did. We did. We went to London. Well, through letters. Well, now we are in London. Oh, yeah. Lizzie just went to London. And she's headed to Huntsford. And she's got this little countryside travel planned with Mr. and Mrs. Gardner over the summer. Are we going to get to see that? I'm not telling you whether or not. I'm just saying that Lizzie is adventuring in the world. Lizzie's adventuring in the world. Oh my god, maybe she'll meet a mountain man. Oh man, somebody who is stupid enough for (laughs) Lizzie to deal with him as she is uh, now sworn off smart men. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got to travel these chapters. It's exciting. London seemed like it was going to be a time since they were like, oh, they're definitely not going to run into Bingley. Wink, wink. I mean, so far they haven't, but I imagine that Lizzie might be able to find him. I don't know. And yeah, I'm excited to be away from Mrs. Bennett. Sad to leave Daddy Bennett. I feel exactly the same as Lizzie. (laughs) What about Kitty and Mary? I'm excited to come back to them, but I won't miss them. That is fair. Yeah. I think... You're also, you're going to get to see characters traverse new areas. Yeah. We've been country mice. Now we're city mice. Yeah. Where else will we go? Well, one thing we do know is that we are going to Huntsford. Yeah. Which is Collins and Charlotte's place. Oh my God, I can't wait to meet Baby DeBerg. What about 
Lady Catherine, I'm excited to meet. Sorry, sorry, let's say it one, one more time. Catherine the Berg! Yeah, I'm excited to meet her, but I'm really excited about Baby de Berg because I want to see about Darcy and her. So one of my things I was going to ask is about your predictions for Huntsford. Huntsford. What's going to go down in Huntsford? I we imagine have... some talking down to from the de Berg's towards the Lizzie. I imagine Charlotte's got a break. She's got to be like, this guy is too much for me. So I want to see that heart to heart. I want to see how William Lucas and Catherine de Berg interact because I feel like that's going to be a funny pairing. Do we think Darcy's going to be at Huntsford? Oh my God! Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God! How, how would he even be there? He's supposed to be with Bingley. But oh my God, can you imagine if Darcy was at Hunsford because he had to be with de Berg? Like they were starting that process. And Lizzie was at Hunsford and they're at Hunsford together. <laughs> Oh my god, that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm certain of it. I'm not going to confirm or deny that. Great. Okay. I wanted to take a moment to mourn Jingly. Yeah, rest in peace. So I'll tell you my my wild theory. Okay. Is that, again, I've always thought, I know all the characters in this book, that's it. But what if Bingley just goes by the wayside and we're done with him? And Jane meets someone new and we move on with a different man. That, to me, is a wild theory. I went into this book having a concept of, like, there are going to be four characters, and we're going to know exactly what happens with them at the beginning, and I, it would be very interesting to me if we were just wrong, if I was wrong, and the original pairings just disintegrate, and we meet other people and start caring about new people, and we stop caring about Bingley. I don't know. It's a thought. I'm not going to confirm or deny that either. So rip Jingley. R.I.P. Just R.I.P. to um, when she was sick and he was taking care of her. Oh, it was very cute. Oh, come on. Are you doing a montage yes, now? Yes, I Aww. literally said we're going to do an R.I.P. montage. Uh, Graham, this is where we put this, uh, the sad, sad music. music. Yeah, okay, here. So, sad music. Now, we have them meeting at the beautiful public ball. And he dances with her twice. Two times. Then he tells everyone he adores her. And then you he have... He asks for his sister's opinions on her. Then she goes to have dinner with the sisters, uh, gets sick, he takes care of her. He goes to visit her with Darcy on the horse. Oh, yes. Together on the horse. Together on the horse. And then they share one last fall together. And then he left. Single tear emoji. Graham, you can stop the sad music now. Okay. So that leads us to our last three we do at every end of episode funniest quote so i wrote one down it's early on mm -hmm. and there were some that were funnier after that but i've already said them and i think it would be fun to do one that i didn't talk about mm -hmm. during the episode so this one is in the beginning in the first chapter when lizzie and jane are arguing about you know the merits of love or whatever and just can't, i don't the context isn't really important she says, there are few people whom I really love and still fewer of whom I think well. And I thought this was funny because I pictured the few people that she really loves and then even fewer of whom she actually likes. And I was like, she loves her mom, but she doesn't like her mom. Yeah, that's very true. And so I thought that was funny. It wasn't like the funniest quote was probably when what I read Daddy Darcy saying, Daddy, oh my God, Daddy Bingley, Daddy... <laughs> Daddy Bennett saying... You are missing Darcy and Bingley, aren't you? Yeah. All right, Keith. 
R.I.P. But the one that Daddy Bennett said that I was cackling about, but this one was a good second choice. Good. Questions going forward? Will we ever see Caroline again? And will we see Darcy at Huntsford? Because now I'm excited about the prospects of that. Okay. Yeah. And who wins the chapter? Oh, my God. Mrs. Gardner. 10 out of 10. Yeah. I think possibly the easiest win we've had so yeah, far. Yeah, I didn't even really have to think about that. Yeah, yeah. That was so clear. She nailed these chapters. Yeah. That is all we have for this first of the second volume of Pride and Prejudice. Woo! we got a lot of stuff going forward. It's exciting. But until next time, stay proper and uh, find a spouse of some sort. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick with art by Torrance Brown. Special thanks to our audio producer, Graham Cook, without whom we would sound like garbage fire. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and Prejudice. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podandprejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.